Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. This episode features Ali Zahid, COO at Van Hawks, makers of the Valor, the bike of the future, safer, smarter, sexier. Hey Ali, thanks for joining us on uh, on the podcast today. No problem, man. I'm happy to be here. Um, so we always like to start off a little bit by by learning more about uh, who the guests are. So where are you from? Uh, what did you study? And, and how did you get started with uh, with entrepreneurship? Um, I was born in Pakistan, came to Canada in grade six. I went to Queen's University to study biomedical computing. I dropped out after my third year. The way I got into entrepreneurship was through one of my really good friends. Uh, he was doing founder feel and I, I always knew I was going to be an entrepreneur but I was never sure so he convinced me to go full into it. That's great. So, so what is uh, Van Hawks all about and uh, what, what makes uh, Valor so different than any other bikes? Yeah, so Van Hawks uh, is the creator of Valor and Valor is the first ever connected bicycle in the world. Uh, what makes it different is it's a full stock experience that no other bike uh, provides out there. So. Uh, you know, it has turn-by-turn navigation, it has blind spot detection system, it detects every time you hit a pothole or you go on a bad road. If your bike gets stolen, each of these bikes communicate with each other, um, you know, talking to each bike, creating a mesh network. And yeah, there's no one else trying to create an experience out of you riding a bicycle and uh, we want to be the first one ever to do that. And it connects with your smartphone, right, to, to give you all that information? Yeah, yeah. So it connects with your smartphone. So, you know, all the information you expect, like distance travel, calories burn, what route you took. On top of that, it gives you the better route suggestion. So uh, if you if your friend goes on this route and he and you don't know about this route, but it's actually a better route, uh, our crowdsourced data will uh, come together and give you the best route suggestions depending on where people are going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a really, really beautiful product. Like I was just checking out your site again. You guys made some some updates to it. It looks really, really good. Uh, um, Thanks. Man. Want to get my hands on one for sure. So, uh, you know, how did you guys come up with the idea for Van Hawks, and and you know, where does that name come from? Because it's pretty distinctive too. Yeah. So we the idea came up from like two years ago when uh, uh, our two other co-founders um, were working on com- carbon fiber technology. So they were working on actually creating uh, carbon fiber technology, which was easier to make, cheaper to make, stronger. Um, so they started to make uh, cylindrical tubes. Uh, which were cheaper and stronger. So just imagine having internal walls running inside of a tube, kind of like having bones inside of a tube. Uh, so they came up with that concept and you know went to Munich, Germany, which is the biggest bike expo in the world, and won the best design award there, which was really awesome because they had no clue what the fuck they were doing at that point. They were just like tinkering around and just playing around with stuff. Yeah, it's kind of like validation that like, hey, holy shit, we've created something really cool. Uh, and two years went by, they didn't really do much, and uh, my brother gave me a call after those two years. Uh, he's one of my co-founders, and he's like, hey, I'm going to be doing this, what do you think? And I was like, dude, I'm going to drop out. I don't know about you. 
Uh, so I dropped out first. I moved to Toronto. And he's like, you're crazy. Um, I have to drop out of medical school. And I was like, well, I've done it. So it's your turn. So he dropped out of his med school. I convinced my best friend to drop out. And uh, all four of us were in it. And the fourth guy was running his own business at that time. And he sold it right there and then. Wicked. And so how did you guys actually get the name Van Hawks? Oh, uh, yeah. So the name came from uh, one of our co-founders' uh, grandparents. Van means of, and the hawk is like, uh, you know, the the origin of the hawk, pretty much. And that's where we came up from. And it's the top of the chain of the animal, the first animal that was like with the human. And um, that's where our whole thinking goes behind it. Intense. <laughs> you guys applied to Fan and Fuel and were accepted. Um, how was that? How has that experience um, helped shape the company and product? And what were some of the lessons that you learned while going through Founderfuel? Oh man, without Founderfuel, this company would not be here. Um, it was it was a lot of hustle. It was a lot of grind. It was pretty much you get put into a pressure cooker for three months. Um, I remember Ian Jeffrey, who's the general manager, came up to us and he's like, "You have three months. If you don't create a product and launch it, you're never gonna get any more funding and like say goodbye to this dream." Do you want to walk uh, us through like maybe month one, month two, month three and kind of how the company had grown? Yeah, absolutely. So month month one was like, you know, proving that there's actually a market. And month one was like also a lot of lectures slash uh, guest speakers who were coming in trying to rip apart your idea. So in one month, month one, you have something called the Mentor Day where all the mentors that Founderfuel has come in and like, you know, they sit you down and they go through your idea. And in Mentor Day, like, everyone was very skeptical of us. They were like, this is never going to work. Are you guys are fucking crazy? This is shit. Uh, we were six out of seventh team uh, placed that day. Because, um, like, at the end of the day, all the mentors, like, vote for you. Yeah. Uh, so we were the one of the last ones. Uh, and every month you have, like, smaller Mentor Days. So, you know, we were like, okay, fine. Um, people were like, you should just, like, you know, give the money back or you should make a small accessory. And we were like, no, we are here to make a full fucking bike. We're not going to back down from that. Mm-hmm. So in the month one, we got a lot of advice. We talked to a lot of people. And I was doing, I was mostly doing customer interviews. Um, and at the same time, I was prepping up for Kickstarter. So the way I like to tell people the Kickstarter story is, like, for those three months, Kickstarter became my religion. Yeah. Um, it was my homepage. Every single morning, I woke up to it. Every single night, I went back to sleep to it. I knew all the top campaigns. I knew all the campaigns that were launching. So that was the first month, you know, just talking to people and making sure, like, is this even worth doing? Second month was uh, my brother flew out to China to work out the supply chain. Um, and it was me and, and uh, my other co-founder just in Montreal. And that was, like, really the grinding month where, you know, we did a 1,000 customer interviews. I was making the pipeline for the Kickstarter sales. Um, and we were actually finishing off the product, so making sure that we have something to present. And I was setting up, like, you know, my press. I was setting up, like, getting the recording done for the video. I was mm-hmm. setting up all the all the copy that needed to go on Kickstarter for the second month. Third month was just, like, flying everywhere, man. Uh, it was, like, um, finishing off the press interviews I've set up, uh, launching the Kickstarter, finishing off the pipeline that I've created of those 1,000 people, showing the product to everyone. Getting the product here was a pain in the ass because uh, we used to get stopped by customs all the time because customs were like, what the fuck is this? Um, <laughs> you, you actually have a, have a funny story about customs. If we can just branch off. I, I know you've told this, this one to me before. Yeah. Um, you just want to tell it again? Yeah, so uh, on my on my press interview with TechCrunch, TechCrunch wanted a featured story, so they wanted to fly, wanted me to fly out to San Francisco with the bike, and I've never flown with the bike and all the hardware in it. 
So uh, I'm flying out, and uh, they stopped me right away because, you know, it's a big red flag. What the fuck is this big bike doing? Um, so because I also claimed the fact that, like, I was a business and I was going to States. Never do that. Just be like, I'm going on a vacation. <laughs> so that was, like, another fuck up I did on my end. So they stopped me. They opened up my luggage, and it had the handlebar with all the electronics in it. So it was all chips and all, like, soldering and everything. The guy opens it up, and he's like, what the fuck? And he just, like, moves away. He's like what the fuck are you not telling me? And I'm like, dude, it's just a fucking bike. It's a smart bike. For sure, because it's a prototype twos, right? So it doesn't yeah. look like something you'd buy in the stores. <laughs> exactly. So he's freaking out. Uh, and he's like, there's no way I'm letting you, letting you go through. And I just like literally balls out, starts crying almost. And I'm like, dude, no, you can't let me do that. This is literally my life and my dream here. And uh, we talk for like 10 minutes because my flight's in like 20 um and he's like you know what i'll let you go and never tell anyone this and uh <laughs> and now and now you're on a podcast uh. yeah i'm not <laughs> good story man and yeah, that's uh, a really good story yeah but but you were trying to get somewhere like there was a really pivotal uh like I yeah it was, it was a TechCrunch interview TechCrunch wanted to break the news and it was like two days before before demo day right yeah exactly it was, okay it was crazy man that so it was like a make or break point really like yeah I don't like to think too much about that day because it was insanely <laughs> stressful for me. I bet. Uh, so yeah, third month was our launch. It was our demo day. And uh, it was just like seeing everything happen in front of your eyes that you've been working on for two months. That's really cool. So after yes. after Founder Fuel, that's when you guys launched uh, the Kickstarter campaign, right? No, we launched in the third month of uh, Founder Fuel. Okay. For the people that don't know about the campaign, did you want to just walk us through it? Yeah, so we uh, so Kickstarter we launched a campaign on May first um, for Van Knox Valor. Uh, in thirty hours, we did hundred thousand dollars worth of sales. It was insane, and uh, in thirty days, we became the highest funded Kickstarter campaign in Canada, grossing at eight hundred twenty thousand dollars. Huge, amazing. That's awesome. so so. You mentioned earlier too that uh, the, like you know the, when the mentors were ripping you guys apart um, because they wanted you to do something smaller and and you guys were really focused on on kind of doing the Apple thing you know building the physical product that you know the hardware and then also the software the app and all the big data integration and, and all that learning so how do you guys actually balance those two things and and what's your what's your vision for the future of Van Hawks like you know where are you guys going man it's it's, it's insanely hard right like cause we're pretty much doing three startups in one and um, each each of our founders are pretty much running their own startups which is pretty insane mm-hmm. and you know we come back together as founders and we're like yeah everyone's on top of this shit no one's like dropping the ball so you know uh, Neve who's the CTO is like full out making the software and the chip side of our hardware our CEO is working full time on the product which is a mechanical product and then working full time on figuring out the supply chain and like making a whole marketing plan for us to launch uh, when the bikes hit the shelf. So all of these people come together under one umbrella and like we, it's just like puzzles just come together and uh, make the valor. Uh, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of like you gotta have the most talented people out there and you gotta be sure that like no one else in the world can do it other than you guys. So. And speaking of the most talented people in the world, like there was a, a little uh, a news uh, article a few months ago that you guys grabbed one of the senior designers of one of the biggest bike companies in in Europe. Yeah, yeah, actually, Cervelo is like the best, like they used they call themselves the um, the Porsche of bikes. Yeah, uh, the bikes usually start at five thousand dollars and go up to like twenty one thousand dollars. And uh, he's, he was their sole industrial designer for like the last seven years. He designed all their bikes. How'd you guys get him? 
Uh, one day he just sends an email congratulating us and like cool product and we're like wait a second <laughs> <laughs> wait <laughs> do you know who you are <laughs> yeah, and, and then we started our conversation it took us like two months to convince him to jump the boat and uh, he came over as chief of design and uh, it was a big big win for the for us and like validating us throughout the industry because this guy is pretty much, you know, making the best bikes out there in the world. And, you know, he's coming on board to audit our bike and become a chief of design and, you know, figure everything out with us. And, you know, it was, it was interesting because he's a very, like, came from a very corporate company, which was bought out by, like, the, it just got bought out by a massive, massive company. So it was, like, 80 people, you know, they're doing, like, insane amount of revenue. And he comes in and I'm like, welcome to a startup. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you know, he's he's uh, working weekends um, and it's pretty cool. So, yeah. So you've spoken about the importance of community as your foundation. How did you guys hack your way into an established bike market and build a community around a new bike? Uh, that's that's interesting because like we, we didn't actually go into like the bike market because like we knew bike uh, all the bike nerds or like I call them the gearheads were too into their own things. So like they care about every single pound and every single gram on their bike and we knew that wasn't our target market. So it, it was interesting figuring out who our target market is and going on from there. So we knew all the tech people would love us because it's a techie bike, right? Like you can yeah. hack it, you can do whatever you want to do with it. And on top of that, it was a sexy bike. So we knew all the creative and design people will also love it. So those are our two big target markets that we did. And on top of that, I knew like consultants from like McKinsey or Bain & Company or BCG who make a good amount of money and just want like a cool product and they usually bike every single day would be interested in it. So those are the three areas that I like targeted very heavily. So, you know, talking to any creatives I've ever known, getting intros to them, you know, going to Google, Facebook, Apple, Square, Twitter, all these places I went to in San Francisco to talk to people and also like um, not going far away from home so like Shopify was another big avenue where I went to people and talked to them. And, and that's how you yeah. did a lot of the validation like just talking to these these I guess because you guys carved out a new niche like I, I think you know on the website you guys say it's for urban commuters. Mm -hmm. So it's so, just yeah. talking to these people without a prototype trying to explain you know the vision and, and selling them on it and seeing if there was a positive reaction. Yeah, absolutely. Like one of the criteria was like, if you ever bike, like you don't have to own a bike, but like you usually bike like once or twice a year. I don't, I don't want like someone who doesn't never ride a bike. So um, that was my criteria, and I used to just go in and talk to them. And um, I had this spreadsheet, not a spreadsheet. I had this Google Doc. Uh, it was a form where you fill out the form. So I used to fill it out for them, and then in the end, I used to take a picture. And that picture used to sync with my iCloud, and I wrote a small script that like every form was like going to be syncing with each picture I took, uh, so I can correlate back to those people. So I did around thousand of those uh, infrequently. Wow, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, it it really proved the fact that like we actually had something, and we weren't just jerking off after interview and trying to figure something out. It was like, yeah, we've got something. I've talked to fucking thousand people, and these thousand people are interested in buying it. Um, it meant something, right? So it wasn't just like, hey, like let's just try to do this and build this and then figure out who, who's going to use it. It was like, no, let's figure out who's going to use it and then build and then it. build it for them. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So so I know we talked we talked a bit about the Kickstarter campaign, but I just kind of want to want to dive a little bit deeper into it with some with some more questions. So 12 days before demo day, which is the end of, of Founder Fuel, you guys launch your Kickstarter campaign. Within 30 hours, you know, you've you've passed your main objective of 100k. 30 days later, you guys have more than than eight times that original goal, so almost almost a, a million bucks. 
Um, and you're getting featured in, in different media outlets like NBC, TechCrunch, Fast Company, Mashable. Um, and then all of a sudden, people are beating down your doors from other countries saying, ship to me, ship to me. So how did you guys create such amazing demand? Um, and, and how did you keep the Kickstarter kind of growing and, and growing to, to become the most crowdfunded campaign in Canada? Man, oh, it was a uh, it was a lot of like any is like anything we do it it was a lot of hustle in it. So when we launched, we we had a pipeline of those a hundred people that were for sure gonna buy out of the thousand people that I interviewed. So uh, I knew I could close in the first day. I could go to my goal. On top of that, I had like pretty good press embargo. So I came from a journalism background. So when I ever used to go give an interview, I knew I was going to tell a compelling enough story for these people to actually write about me because I knew what that meant to actually get a good story out there. Mm. So that was uh, those are two things. And then we did like a pretty staggered um, campaign where every every two or three days we had something new coming up. So the first three days, we opened up the international shipping. That was huge because like, people were just like beating down our door, and like that gave us a massive curve. Uh, after the tenth day, I think we opened up our perk perks. Like um, after the hundred k, people were like, "Yes, we want these things in a bike," and you know that kept us going, going, going. And like on the twentieth day, I did a re like I went back to press and like did a massive press like you know push there. So, you know, I went back to the Canadian outlets, so like Globe and Mail, Toronto Star, Weiss, USA Today. So I was trying to hit the big, big balls at that point. And um, yeah, man, it was just like, you, you got to keep doing the loop again and again and again. And so again. you guys had it all planned out. It wasn't just like, let's make this out, uh, make this up as we go. It was all strategic. Oh, yeah. Everything was strategic and everything was like, we were going to work towards it. Yeah. And, you know, that's why I, I took three months to freaking get this done and it wasn't just like a lot of people just think like oh you're just gonna like launch kickstarter and it's just gonna work itself out no the reality is 80 percent of the traffic is driven by you and the 20 percent is by kickstarter yeah exactly and, and so like you said that you you know you woke up to kickstarter every day to see those those home products you know those 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 trending projects but but as you said you know you have to drive 80 percent and then once you get picked up in enough traffic then kickstarter picks you up and you know puts you on the home page which gives you extra an extra kind of boost or whatever Exactly. Um, and, and so the other thing that, that a lot of people talk about when they talk about, you know, crowdfunding campaigns of any kind is, is having a good intro video. And I know you guys have a pretty interesting story around your intro video and, and kind of leading up to demo day. Do you just want to share that with us? Yeah. yeah. So the the, vid, the intro video is pretty interesting because, like, we got the guy who did Pebble, but, like, we just, we never actually saw the video until, like, an hour before our Kickstarter campaign. So it was, like, nerve-wracking because we just, like, trusted him so much. And we're like, what if he just doesn't deliver? What if you're just gonna launch a fucking campaign without any video on there? So it was pretty like crazy. So we trusted him a lot. Uh, he did Pebbles video, amazing, amazing dude. Like, I I cannot say much about him. Just amazing working with him. And uh, we flew down to San Francisco. Uh, we our prototype was so crappy at that time that like we couldn't hire an actor to actually trust him to ride our bike. Uh, <laughs> by our CEO is the actor in the, in the freaking video. It looks hilarious when I look back at it. Um, so yeah, we we it, it was raining too, wasn't it or something? Yeah, like that? it was. It, we had five days. Five out of three days, it was fucking raining. It was just like a anything that you plan, man, and you think it's gonna work, it actually doesn't. So it's just like you just had to bite the bullet and uh, go with it because. You can plan so much, and if shit comes up, you just got to deal with it. Yeah. 
What do you think about uh, so so? I mean, Pebble used used to be one of the most crowdfunded platforms. I think they just got beat by the the coolest cool that that cooler. I don't know if you've seen it. What yeah, do you think yeah. about what do you think about that thing? Uh, it's interesting because like I think people just bought it just if it can beat Pebble. To be honest, and, <laughs> <laughs> and no, it's 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 really like he hit he hit it home, man. Like he he made a product at the right time, right? Like he launched a campaign before, and that campaign was like a massive like failure. And um, he launched another one at the right time where people were just watching him. Mm-hmm. And he became the most, you know, funded campaign in the world, which is really freaking awesome. I think it's just like you got to create a product that people want, man. Um, and you got to have a good design and whatnot. Do you guys think you're going to get uh, get beaten uh, eventually as the as the title for the I best? I want to, man. I want people, like, I, I, I try to, like, I'm mentoring people to, like, beat me. I think it'll be Canadian success because, like, that's where we want it to go. Yeah. So how critical is design of valor? It's everything, man. Like yeah. without like I can I can work all the magic in the world, like hack it or whatever, but the reality is the product sells itself. I I was lucky enough to be with a product that was like fucking sexy and like good looking and like had all the utility and like was designed around a commuter. So I think like you you can try to work all the magic you want on like you know hacking it or driving traffic to it, but the reality is the product should be there, and that's where all of your hacking starts. Is like making an amazing product. So mm-hmm. how how far from the initial concept that you guys created to the to today's what we see on your website? Like how big? How long? Or sorry, how much has it changed in design wise? <laughs> Everything. Yeah. Uh, when we went into customer interviews, a thousand interviews changed everything for us, man. Um, every single, like every hundred ones that I used to come back, I'm like, dude, this is what people are saying. What the fuck do we do? And he's like, time to change it. And next time I'm like, this is what people are saying. Time to change it. And this is what next hundred people are saying. Time to change it. You know, we started off from like only a GPS uh, module in there to just track your bike and nothing else. And like, you mm-hmm. know, so we only wanted in there. And uh, we came back to him like, People are actually saying that, like, even if they find their bike on the GPS, they're actually never going to go knock on the door. And I was like, that's really interesting because, like, you know, if you can locate your bike, you're still not going to go and knock on the shady person's door in, like, Jane and Finch, which is, like, the most shadiest neighborhood in Toronto. And then I called up the police. I was like, hey, if I know the exact location of my bike, will you ever go there? And they're like, fuck, no, I have way better <laughs> things to do than go locate your bike. Um, so we took out the GPS module. Because like, it was way too expensive, um, we had to go through way too many certification. It just didn't make sense. Um, second thing we realized was like people actually like we weren't thinking of integrating lights in the bike, um, but that was like coming at one after another. That like, dude, I want lights. My lights always get still on. I want lights. I want lights. So we put lights in there. Uh, another thing people was like, you know, I just got these safety tires on my bike, which is like this neon light on your tire, so like at night they glow. And I was like, what? Uh, so those those little things, you know, those little features that you never really think about until unless you really talk to people who ride every day, and it, you gotta look at their pain points. Mm-hmm. And same with blind spot detection system and turn return. Uh, one guy used to tell me, he was like, "Dude, every time I go out to a new restaurant, I have a fucking phone in front of my face. It's so dangerous." And that triggered something in me. I was like, "Wait a second, you you ride with a fucking phone in front of your face with one hand on the handlebar, one on the phone?" And he's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Dude, that's crazy dangerous in streets." And he's like, "Yeah." So that's one of the reasons we came up with turn uh, turn by turn navigation. So cool. And so I, I know one of you guys is uh, is responsible for the the kind of the carbon fiber engineering and stuff like that. Um, and what's really what really differentiates your bike and the, and the process there is that it's a single piece of carbon fiber, right? 
Mm-hmm. Yep. And you guys, you guys invented the process to make it a single piece of carbon fiber. But what's crazy is you're not going to patent it. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. So we we all came together and we have like a very aggressive strategy about patenting. We fucking hate it. We 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 wish it wasn't there to be honest because like it stops everyone's innovation. So what we said was like we're not going to look back on our on our successes. We're going to look towards future. And it came to a point where like. We're not going to pattern it because it's a secret sauce um, that only we know we can do it because um, we're very, very confident about like even if you take our bike after we sold it and try to reverse engineer, it's pretty impossible because everything's just baked in it. Uh, and yeah, so we're not going to pattern it. It's just going to be a secret sauce that like only a few people in our company know. On top of that, like we we never pattern things to like, you know, stop anyone else. We just pattern it so people don't stop us. And that's the only, like, we've only, like, done, like, three or four patterns, and I was so pissed that when we did it, and, like, all of us were pissed, because, like, we're literally throwing money in fire, and, you know, you think something's going to happen, but the reality is nothing's going to happen. So we, we we pretty much aggressively made a strategy that, like, we're not going to patent things, um, and we're only going to patent things, so things that might, other other people might stop us from doing it. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a strategy that I don't look back and look towards the future. And if someone else wants to do it, we are more than happy for them to go do it because that brings more innovation in the world and it, it makes the world go forward. For sure, yeah. Um, and I don't know if you can speak to this too, too much, but I'm just curious. So, like, if, if anyone else wants to kind of develop a, you know, a physical product, because you guys talked about going to China uh, and some of those, you know, Asian countries to, to kind of set up the supply chain. I know there's a few others in there. Um, you know, how did you guys set up that supply chain? Where does the, you know, bike get assembled? How does it ship? That kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, we're still figuring out a lot of those things. Uh, it, it sucks. Um, it's a lot of work. One of our, two of our guys actually live over, overseas now, full time. One in Taiwan, one in Pakistan, because uh, we just can't afford them to come back. Um, and uh, you just gotta find the right people and just work the network. Um, I had this friend who actually had a biking company before, and he he introduced us to all of the bike industry pretty much. And we found the guy who actually did the supply chain for all these big bike companies, which is like Cervelo and Jan and whatnot and FSA. And uh, we hired him as a contract worker. So he works full time with us, trying, teaching us the supply chains and the ropes. So, you know, he lives in Taiwan full time. And um, one of our supply chain guys lives full time in Taiwan. And all you do is like you just pretty much go around talking to people but like hey i'm building this can you build this for us hey i'm building this and you know the traction really helps because like we already have orders we already end up going we're like hey this is how much we're going to be doing so it put a lot of validity to us but that i mean that that's really that's really cool it's a, it's a great way to kind of figure out that supply chain so besides you know your own app and, and kind of drinking your own kool-aid you know what else are you guys using on your uh, or what else are you using on your phone right now oh man i usually use evernote uh, mostly, um, I love Evernote, and I love pen and paper. So I transcribe on pen and paper and put it on Evernote, pretty much. What else? I use uh, we use Slack a lot. So Slack is our internal communication tool. Nice, yeah, it's really good. Uh, and then we use Asana uh, for our Scrum meetings and putting it, the project on timelines. Yeah. Those are the things. Uh, what else do I use? I just got the new update for the iPhone, so so there might be some new goodies on there. Uh, I use Circa a lot for news reading um, and Pocket. Mm-hmm. Those are two things. Of course, Uber and Halo, because I get free credit from these people now because they're friends of mine. Uh, I use Path and Talk from Path. They're pretty cool. Uh, my close friends on there. 
Yeah, man, that's about it. And then the social medias, I, I delete them off my phone, so I just use them on my laptop. So I don't have like Facebook, Instagram, or anything on my phone. Yeah. I think it's a waste of time. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, man, I appreciate you so much, uh, you know, coming on the show and sharing your experience building uh, Van Hawks with us. Awesome. Thanks, guys, for having me. Thanks, man. Thanks. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, at Hack to Start, and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.